Amen. Hey, once again, we are in World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. And number 12 is what, Bobby? Scientology. Scientology. It's not science and it's not? Ology, tology, whatever, meaning, of course, the study of it certainly is not the study of science. In fact, if you want to put a tagline on this baby, okay, basically what you got going on here is science fiction occult, okay, because that's really what it is. Scientology, that's what it is. It's science fiction occult is really what it is. And uh, as we saw last time, if you're here, we're still dealing with the history. We're probably going to be in the history for a little while of where in the world did Scientology come from, let alone how far off base it is. We did a little preview, a little teaser last time, if you were here, of how many different ways they get it wrong, and yet they have the audacity to say that it's compatible with Christianity and it has nothing to do with Christianity. It's just so far off base, it's crazy. It literally is because of uh, the L. Ron Hubbard who founded it, a, a combination of science fiction, just made up stories, okay, as well as the occult. And that's what we began that journey. That sounds like a pretty audacious statement, but we began to deal with the facts and follow the history trail. We saw with L. Ron Hubbard, he immediately, early on, he got involved in the occult. Remember that? I think he was 16 years old. Who did he get shacked up with? Alistair Crowley, okay, and then later we saw he ran into, in the 40s, he ran into a guy, chummed up with him, and that was who? Remember that? Jack Parsons. Now, Jack Parsons was what? He was the founder of JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, Aerojet Engineers, basically the pioneer of the rocket industry, okay? And uh, that's kind of where we left off. Now, where we're going to get, we're still in the history, and that was basically trying to just let you know that the foundation of Scientology is absolutely 100% rooted in the occult, period, ipso facto. In fact, we just somebody was just showing me, were you, showing me tonight that they just now, was it CBS? CBS streaming now, they got a, there's a new show out that is glamorizing Jack Parsons and his involvement in the occult with that. So it's just a series. It just came out. It's crazy, man, the timing of this study. So, but we saw there, that's what they called. Now, what we're going to get into, we're, we're going to basically dovetail off of the Jack Parsons weird stuff with L. Ron Hubbard. And now we're going to get into, because shortly after that, that's when L. Ron Hubbard came up with his book, Dianetics. You know, with the, remember we saw with the big volcano blowing up on the cover and all that stuff, which is basically, to use the terminology, the Bible, if you will, of Scientology, okay? So that's kind of where we're at, and we're going to pick up from there. But anyway, 1945, Hubbard, he goes to Pasadena. Again, just trying to get you caught up again. Jack Parsons, that's when he meets uh, with him. Remember what they called Jack Parsons' house that he bought, that he did all the occult stuff in? The Parsonage, isn't that wild, okay, as we saw there. Uh, and so Hubbard basically befriends this guy, and Hubbard is already, since he was 16, involved in the occult, specifically also with Aleister Crowley, okay. And Parsons, remember, if you recall, he's basically the West Coast representative of Aleister Crowley's uh, group called the OTO, okay. So Hubbard, this isn't nothing new, but he goes to uh, uh, Parsons' house, and he uh, not only chums up with him, uh, but he begins to work on, remember that one thing, they were involved in what was called uh, sex uh, magic rituals. Now, remember we saw when you see, even out in public, this is a little code word, so to speak, code letter, is when you see the K on the end, okay, that is the occult, right? That ain't like somebody doing a card trick, a magic trick. In fact, let me show you a quick difference. Mark, come on up here, buddy. Mark's going to do a little magic trick for us, right? And this is magic with a C, okay, not with a K. No, no, get over here. You got to get in the camera, dude. Nice try. Nice try, right? So what we're going to do is basically I'm going to pass, we're going to be spiritual about this, the anointing over to Mark. You ready? See if he'll transfer. Look at that. Is that cool or what? Woo! All right, give it for Mark. See you later, buddy. Yeah, actually, it's a little piece of magic. It's fake thumb for those you want to check it out later. Okay, but that's not what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with uh, basically magic with a C, a card trick, whatever. These guys were deeply involved in the K. Magic, dark stuff, the occult, L. Ron Hubbard. Now, part of that, again, was they were not just doing rituals and all kinds of stuff. We went into great detail last week. If you didn't see it, go online, check it out, because it's wild. We went in great detail. It was creepy. Almost made me want to wash my eyeballs out. Okay. But, and that was the tip of the iceberg. I had to really clean it up basically. But basically it wasn't just that. It was sex magic. We're going to get into that a little bit tonight as well. Why did they get involved in that? But basically what we saw, he was working with Jack Parsons. Okay. In this OTO, Hubbard was the founder of Scientology. And basically, remember they were trying to do a ritual to bring in this Babylon spirit. 
right? And the Babylon spirit, basically it's a demon. They felt it was a goddess, that this goddess through these rituals and the sex magic with a K, that they were going to bring this spirit, this Babylon spirit, into a woman's body, and then, then that woman's body was going to give birth to the actual Antichrist. This is what L. Ron Hubbard and the founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory was working, and it's the birth of Scientology. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Now, where we left off was, basically, Hubbard, <clears throat> not only a, a, a habitual liar, uh, not only was a con artist, not only was a cheat, uh, all that kind of stuff, not only involved in heavy duty, the occult, okay, but he also ran off with Jack Parsons' girlfriend named Sarah. He also had another name for her, if you look online, uh, he called her Betty, okay, but Sarah Northrup was her name, okay, and so L. Ron Hubbard basically ran off with her. Okay, and basically this was towards the end after this Babylon working thing, this magic thing they were working on, the occult thing, trying to bring in this spirit, the Antichrist into the world. Uh, basically, then Parsons started to have some money troubles. His older buddies from the rocket days kind of left him. Remember we left off of that? And basically he gave his last $20,000, okay, to Hubbard, who came up with this great idea. Hey, what we'll do to make money and keep things going here. We, me and your girlfriend are going to take this money. We're going to go to Florida. Florida. We're going to buy some sh uh, boats, and then we're going to come back and sell them over here and make some cash. Well, he took the money, but he had no intention on returning. He basically, long story short, where we left off last time, is he basically took the money and ripped off Jack Parsons. Shortly after that, Jack Parsons literally was blown away, like he, if you will, almost prophesied that he'd be blown away after this Babylon ritual, okay, by uh, one of the bombs he was, or, or the rockets he was working on blew up. Literally just blew him away. Okay, so basically that's where we kind of left off last time. Okay, so now that's about 1945 is where we're at there, about when this is kind of going and culminating. Then the very next year, because I'm going to work you way up, where I'm working towards is the birth of Dianetics. That's where we're at in this history thing, right? 1946, right? So 1946, finally Hubbard, now remember, he ripped off Jack Parsons, okay? Basically ran off with his girlfriend. He finally marries this girlfriend, this girl Sarah, now, remember, he was still married to his first wife, Polly, okay? But he went ahead and he married Sarah. So now he's in a bigamous relationship. And listen, it was not until 1947 that his first wife learned that he had even remarried. So not, not good things, okay? And then, of course, the marriage after that in 1947, while he's now married to two ladies, uh, was dissolved, okay? Now, during this period, uh, Hubbard off, uh, authored a document, and this we're going to get into the beginning stages of Dianetics, okay? But he, he authored a document which he simply called the Affirmations, okay, the Affirmations. Now, a lot of this Scientology has tried to keep a lid on, but now it's come out through some lawsuits, people saying, and former Scientologists say, no, we want access, because remember, they keep records of everything, but a lot of it, like we saw with, uh, remember Ellen G. White has the, the white estate, the vault, and keeps her embarrassing stuff hidden away, but people get access to it. Like, remember that she went to different planets and she had that cord that she pulled on to get to heaven and all that stuff, supposedly. And, and she saw people living on Jupiter and all that weird stuff. And she also believed that uh, uh, the reason why we have a black African race of people was because uh, amalgamation, because of... Uh, bestiality and things of that nature. Yeah, they, they keep that stuff locked away. Scientology does the same thing. So basically, 1946, 1947, you got all of a sudden, this is after the Jack Parsons thing. Now he's on his own with this Sarah lady, his second wife, right? He starts to write these things called the affirmations. Now, affirmations, towards the end of the study, if I get that far, basically affirmations is shocker, is something that's used in the occult, Okay, the occult is all about rituals. The occult is all about kind of like a, in Hinduism and Eastern mysticism, you repeat a mantra over and over again, and you just keep repeating it until you almost get into a mindless state, and it's just supposed to work into your subconscious and, and make that your reality and all that stuff. Well, this is kind of like the occult version of that, affirmations, okay? So he produces, Hubbard, this document called Affirmations, and he relates this to, <clears throat> this is going to help with various physical, sexual, psychological, and social issues. And uh, he used them as this form of self-hypnosis. Okay, we'll get into hypnosis in a little bit. And this was the, with the intention that it's going to help people. Remember, this is how Dianetics is pitched. You just do these techniques, and it's basically the panacea for all ills, society, mankind, the whole nine yards. So he's getting into these occult things called affirmations early on. 
pre-Dianetics, just before, okay, and let me just give you some of the ones that have come out that he would repeat over and over again. Uh, he says, your eyes are getting progressively better. This is one affirmation. Uh, uh, you have no reason to keep them bad. Two, your stomach trouble is an excuse to keep the Navy from punishing you. You are free of the Navy. Your hip is a pose. You have a sound hip. It never hurts. Your shoulder never hurts. Your foot was an alibi. Your injury is no longer needed. And just repeat these things over and over and over again. Now, before I continue, what does that sound like? That sounds like the what? Modern day word, faith, name it, claim it. Well, this is occult stuff. This is what you do. You, you have the power through these words. It's all about words and certain occult words, and words can have the power to determine your reality. That's, that's Eastern mysticism. That's Hinduism. That's repeating your mantra, right? Tapping into the God force, tapping into the occult, and you could bring in your own reality, okay? Now, that's just some um, easy ones, if you will, about just physical, right? If I just keep repeating it over and over again, I'm going to have a healthy body, etc. blah, blah, blah. But he got into other ones I'll get into later, uh, it was more than that, okay? These affirmations that he would repeat over and over again. So anyway, so he gets into these affirmations after this split with Parsons, right? Runs off this girl. He starts getting into these affirmations, this occult document thing. Then he begins to build on this. So now we're in 1948. That was 47. Now we're in 1948. So the next year, now he's with Sarah. They're in Georgia. And he begins to make uh, a, his first public kind of... Uh, preemptive uh, announcement of Dianetics. He hasn't labeled it yet, but he's starting to be like, hey, I think I need to write a book that's going to basically cure all humanity. And it's a lot more than that we'll see in a second because he wanted what? He's going to make some cash off this. We'll see that in just a second, okay? Now, his first thoughts on the subject, right, were compiled in a short book, and what he, uh, he uh, uh, called it, first of all, was the original thesis. Dun, 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 dun. Doesn't that sound intelligent? Right? So this is what he first came out with. So he's got these affirmations, and we're going to solve humanity's problems and make a lot of cash. Okay, and then, that's <clears throat> not working. How about we just call it the original thesis, right? And again, this was basically the, 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 the birth pains, if you will, to use that term, the beginnings of Dianetics. It's like pre-Dianetics. He's, he, he's taking these ideas. He's starting to formulate them all together, right? And it, this, this original thesis contained basic conclusions about human aberrations and handling them with auditing. Right? That's the term that they use today. Now, then he goes in the same year, <clears throat> 1940. Nine, he goes into the next year, 49. Then he starts to get a little bit more specific. He say now he's working on not just the original thesis. He's working on a book of psychology to, to find out the cause and the cure for nervous tension. And then he was, he was waffling with titles. He was thinking, well, I'm going to call it The Dark Sword. Well, that would fit his background. Uh, he's going to call it Excalibur. Aha! Da, 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 da. And we'll get into, if I get that far, why was he flirting with this Excalibur idea? Well, that was the work he did earlier. I'll back up the train a little bit when he was on some drugs. Okay, we'll get into a sec. And then he called it, maybe I'll call it the science of the mind. Right? Okay. Uh, so basically, now he's advancing this. He wrote several, listen, professional organizations to offer his research. Dun, da, da, da. None were interested. Shocker. <laughs> so here's this guy, this grandiose guy. Remember, he won. It's all about money. He's going to make his mark in the world. Everybody's going to know who he is. And all of a sudden, he comes out of these, uh, a cold. He's getting way deep with this Babylon ritual, rips his guy off his cash, and all of a sudden, he appears on the scene. I'm going to write a book to save the world. How many guys would say he had a big head? Okay. Now, we're still not at Dianetics, but this is kind of getting you to where he's getting into that mindset. Okay. Now, in 1950, so now we're getting closer. 1950. Okay, all of a sudden he comes out with this book, Dianetics. Now remember before he got there, his whole background's the occult. Okay, he comes out with the occult affirmations. Then he says, no, it's the original theses. No, it's a book of psychology. No, I'm going to, and so finally he starts to land on what he's going to call it. And it's the Dianetics, the modern science of mental health. And then he began to promote it. Well, I don't have time to get into this, but basically two years later, uh, he's in financial trouble again, right? Because he doesn't really kick into getting to multi-million dollars until later. He's always struggling for cash, right? And uh, <clears throat> hence one of his big desires to be rich. But anyway, so he, he goes into bankruptcy. Basically, he basically, uh, he lost the rights to Dianetics. So the way he gets around it, then he decides he comes up with an organization 
And this is the birth of Scientology. He wrote Dianetics. He lost the rights to it. He got into financial straits. Then he launched Scientology to basically get this back. Right? Because remember, this is his cure for the world and basically his way to make a bunch of money. Right? So he gets it back. Okay, and ever since then, that's basically the birth of it. Ever since then, he's been spreading it around the world. Now, the book Dianetics. Now, I showed you the picture last time. You guys remember the cover? Basically, it's Dianetics, right? And it's got this volcano. Right? The modern you know, mind thing, whatever. But what is Dianetics? All right, let's just take a look at this. Dianetics is the generic term for the beliefs underlying Scientology. Right? Basically, in a nutshell, Chrome translation, Dianetics is basically their version of what we would call the Bible. This is their Bible. This is you know, their uh, source that they would call it. Okay? Dianetics is the claim that, listen, <clears throat> each person's painful past experiences. Now, what does that sound like? That does sound like psychology, right? Remember, it's a mash of the occult and psychology and Eastern mysticism and New Age and all that stuff. They claim that each person's painful past experiences uh, create a lasting impression. Now, that lasting impression that's tucked away inside of you, whether you realize it or not, messing your whole life up, even physically, is called the Ingram, right? An Ingram, okay? Not to be confused with Laura Ingram. She's on Fox News, has a decent show. Don't confuse her with that. Okay, but basically, uh, it's called the Ingram, okay? <clears throat> and, and, and this negative experience has attached to the person's reactive, literally subconscious mind, right? So supposedly, I mean, they talk about the way out, right? It's like, you've got something inside of you that's in your subconscious that you don't even know about. And you give us money and we'll get it out of there. <laughs> yeah, how can you prove that, right? Oh, but they got their little uh, paraphernalia, and we'll get to that in a second, right? Now, according to Dynex, these engrams, these negative things that are locked away inside of you, that only L. Ron Hubbard unlocked the secret to get it out of you, Right, through Dianetics, right? Uh, they are the root cause of various diseases, conditions, neurosis, even injuries. Uh, the list is extensive. I mean, these, these engrams, man, they, deficient vision, sexual problems, allergies, joint pain, headaches, you name it, okay? In, they're blamed for psychological disorders, depression, violence. In fact, L. Ron Hubbard went as far to claim, listen, if Dianetic therapy was applied worldwide, quote, there no longer would be any crime, bore, or insanity. Bigum headum, as the Indians would say. <laughs> Whoa, right? And that's right, through a process they call. So <gasps> that's the problem I didn't even know. It's inside of me. It's my subconscious. If only somebody could help me. Well, hey, we're here. Right? And how do you get it out of you? Well, that's their term called auditing, right? Auditing. And auditing basically is the process by which they suppose they get rid of these engrams that's messing up your whole life, right? All this is in Dianetics, right? Okay, this is the premise of that book, okay, and Scientology, right? Now, and the basically, you got to get all that stuff out of you. Now, when you get it supposedly in theory out of you, then that puts you into a state which they call clear. You're clear of all these engrams inside of you. In fact, uh, another person who was involved uh, in Scientology, although there's a debate, some they deny, his wife wants to deny, especially after Leah Remini come out and said she is and all that stuff, is, of course, Will and Jada uh, uh, Smith, Will Smith, right? In fact, I don't know if you saw that movie, Will Smith came out with a movie uh, called After Earth. You guys remember that? It's a science fiction movie, if you've ever seen it. And basically, After Earth was a, um, you heard of Battlefield Earth? It's probably one of the worst movies of all time, the critics say. Battlefield Earth was one of the books that L. Ron Hubbard wrote. And another Scientologist, John Travolta, starred in that, but it was a big bomb. Big right. Well, Will Smith in Scientology, he came out recently with what's called After Earth. And basically, it's a good advertisement for, whether people realize it or not, for Scientology. Now, let me give you some of that proof real quick, all right? Because again, the whole, the whole time is what you want to do is become clear. And when you become clear, then there's nothing inhibiting you. No emotions, no nothing. You're basically robot. Nothing, my past. I'm free from everything. I'm clear. Well, this is exactly how Will Smith portrayed himself. Uh, in this movie. And this is from a former Scientologist. They went and they basically took notes and watched this movie. Here's what they said. I saw the movie After Earth. I took notes of the parallels of Scientology teachings and it was laden with them. First of all, the phrase repeatedly, fear is a choice, was in the movie. Will Smith's character, Cypher Rage, tells his son Katai, fear is not real. It's a product of thoughts you create. Fear is a choice. 
I don't know about you, but man, when a truck's coming at me and I'm in the middle of the road, I appreciate fear. I'm, I'm very glad it's real. It helps me out. <laughs> right? It comes in handy once in a while. Not all fear is bad, but, but that's a Scientology phrase. L. Ron Hubbard uh, are, are, uh, taught that emotions and fear are triggers that are a part of your reactive mind. And the goal of Scientology is to get rid of all that, to get rid of all fears, right? To achieve that state of clear. So that was in the movie. Be in the present moment was in the movie. Through Scientology training, one learns how to be in present time. They call it PT. And it's commonly referred to by insiders. And in order to operate as a higher beam, to be clear, then you basically have to be in control over your environment. And the key is you got to be in PT. You got to be in present time. Now, the phrase there, what do you touch, see, feel, and smell was in the movie there. And uh, when you go in Scientology counseling, you're asked to recall what you see, hear, touch, and smell. That's part of putting yourself in the moment so that you can be locked into that so you can learn how to be clear. Volcanoes, <clears throat> if you're familiar with that movie, at the very end, the climax of the movie was what? Big giant volcano going off uh, that, quote, could have been ripped right off the cover of Dianetics. It's so similar. So, right? So there was an allusion to that. And, quote, robotic emotions. Will Smith's character is pretty much divide in this movie, devoid of all emotions for the entire movie. In Scientology, one goes through great amounts of training, counseling to control one's emotions, what they call mis-emotions, right? So any other emotions other than is a mis-emotion, apparently, right? <clears throat> Anyone who has done even the smallest amount of Scientology training will recall sitting and staring at a person, listen, for hours on end without being allowed to blink, smile, or turn one's head. Will Smith pretty much masters that during the entirety of this movie. Right? Now, man, apparently in kids growing up, I don't know about you, I, I'll have to ask my parents, I want to have to get them on the phone. Maybe they were exposed to Scientology, because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, that was cheap entertainment, having that staring contest. I didn't realize we were trying to go clear. I didn't know what's going on. I'm talking to my dad. I don't know. What's he involved in now? This is crazy stuff. I'm just going to close in prayer and get on the phone. No, let's move on. Okay, but basically, that's what it is. You, just, you become clear. Okay, now, listen to this. So, during the auditing process, because that's the whole goal. You've got to get rid of these engrams so you can turn into Will Smith. And you pay money for that? Okay, but anyway, so you, you, you get to this clear state. They audit you. They sit in front of you, and basically... You're asked to relive your past experience. Now, they take it even further. It's not just your past, the things that you can remember. In theory, this is anything, even your infancy. Yeah, because I remember, man, that first time, right after I was born, right, I looked over at my mom, and she was happy. Dad was freaking out. Who remember? Nobody knows what went on when you're a baby, right? It's crazy, right? But they supposedly take you back in your infancy, uh, even, quote, pre-birth. So now you're in there. Swimming pool, I don't think so. And even quote, your former life. Now remember our studies in New Age, Hinduism, Buddhism, past life regression, all that stuff, which is in modern psychology today. That's not from God, okay? But basically, they, these guys are involved. Why are they pushing you so far back? Which is a Freudian concept, by the way, right? You got the key to the present is in the past. That's modern psychology, right? Well, that's what they believe, because somewhere hidden in your past, maybe even when you were an infant, maybe when you were still in the womb, maybe in some past life, you had some negative spirit or negative experience and it attached to you and it's an engram and you've got to get that out. Now, again, in order to go to that, you get into something called hypnosis, right? Now, hypnosis, as we saw before in our other studies, folks, you don't want to do that. Hypnosis is a form of getting into an altered state of consciousness. And when you get yourself into an altered state of consciousness, oh, you're going to open up doors. You might see stuff. You might even hear stuff. I'm not discounting that. That doesn't mean it's coming from God. You're messing with a realm you shouldn't mess with. And this is what they promote, right? Let's take a look at that hypnosis clip again from Dave Hunt. Let's take a look. No one knows what hypnosis is. No one knows what goes on in the mind. It's an altered state of consciousness like yogis and uh, witch doctors have been practicing. Uh, it loosens the normal connection between your spirit and your brain. And, of course, if the hypnotist can control you, make all kinds of suggestions, make you think uh, things are happening that are not happening, make you think you have powers that you don't, experiences that you haven't, even implant memories. Uh, other beings, if there are other minds out there, they could also do the same thing. 
Sir John Eccles, Nobel Prize winner for his research on the brain, describes the brain as, quote, a machine that a ghost can operate, unquote. What he means by that is your spirit operates your brain in a normal state of consciousness. In an altered state, reached under yoga, a TM, hypnosis, uh, you have loosened the normal connection between your spirit and your brain, and that allows another spirit, other entities, other minds to interpose themselves and begin to tick off the neurons in your brain, create a, a universe of illusion. I believe that it's demonic. I think all of the evidence indicates this. Yeah, because you're getting into an altered state of consciousness, you're opening up spiritual doors you don't want to mess with, and there's entities out there. They may say that they're uh, Cleopatra. They may say that uh, they put that in your brain, and you, you, that was me, I was Cleopatra. Not me personally, I'm just using an analogy, let's make that clear. Uh, but anyways, uh, uh, or it was an alien orbiting the planet Earth from the star system Pleiades. We're here to help you, all kinds of illusion stuff that's going on, okay? That's what they're messing with. Well, that's what, what what's, you know, we're talking about Scientology here. You're, you're, you're basically whole process of achieving the state called clear, okay, is dependent upon going in this past to get these mythical things out, but you're using technology that goes back to the what? The occult. That is not good, right? That is not good at all. In fact, now let's go back to that process clear. You may have heard that they have another uh, piece of equipment, <clears throat> and I guess this is their whole rationale to try to get you to buy into this science part to Scientology, right? And they have this thing that's called the E-meter, Okay, now this is, this is, sorry, it's funny. Okay, E-meter, especially when I, I, you know, went to tech school. So this is crazy. This is something we would have whipped up to fool somebody. But, uh, but, but the E-meter, that's basically short for the electro, uh, electro-psychometer, right? And this is a device that they still use today and charge big bucks for, right? That supposedly they're going, this is, you know, go, go in the past, get in your past life, go and find out what's going on in your infancy like you could never know. Uh, that's a cult technique. But now we're going to hook you up to this electro-psychometer, and this thing is going to be able to read your thoughts. And we'll be able to find out where those engrams are. I'm not making this up. Now I'm going to share with you two people who, because who, they're not supposed to have these things, but they, they got their hands on them. On these e-meters. Put them to the test. What a rip-off. Watch this. Let's take a look. So we bought this e-meter. It's a uh, Mark 7, I believe. We got it. Just because you're not supposed to have these unless you're a member of uh, a certain organization that's responsible for their creation, courtesy of Hubbard Electrometer Manufacturing. I've always wanted one of these just because they're kind of goofy. And they supposedly will tell you certain information about um, your spiritual being and if you've rid yourself of past spiritual experiences that were negative and kind of like how whole of a person you are. The Hubbard Electrometer, more commonly known as the E-Meter, is a quote-unquote religious artifact used to measure the state of electrical characteristics in the static field surrounding the body. E-Meters operate in a similar fashion to lie detectors, relying on a type of electrical circuit called a Wheatstone bridge, which measures the subject's galvanic skin response. In short, the device produces a small electrical current and measures the subject's electrical resistance to that current. Please come over and get an e-meter reading. Pick them up again, take them off the table. Okay, if it rises, the dial moves to the left. That means that your, your non-confrontational, your fear or responsibility or identification is coming through. Mm -hmm. um, if it moves to the right, that means um, you've got losses, lies, present time problems, and a disagreement with reality. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if it moves to the right, which it's doing, I think Wilbert's got a disagreement <laughs> with reality. In this video, I want to talk about a device that Scientology uses in their counseling, known as the e-meter. I know Scientology people want to believe that, yeah, no, it'll it'll pick up these things from my past, you know, that are stored in my brain, and, and I'm going to pay this auditor thousands of dollars, and they're going to turn me into a superhuman, and my IQ is going to go up. The e-meter is a device that actually measures resistance going through the human body in this case. It's very similar to an ohmmeter and that if you hold these two tin cans here in your hand and you take a look at the needle on the meter 
the needle move back and forth depending on how hard you're squeezing the cans or how much your hands are perspiring. And Hubbard tries to convince his followers that thoughts have mass and that this meter is somehow picking up the mass of the thought or the changes in the person's physiology based on the thought. Well, first of all, I want to say it's a very crude lie detector. Believe me, if you were going to stand before a judge that wanted you to take a lie detector test, the last thing in the world he's going to do is say, go get a Scientology e-meter. They're going to do a real lie detector test using a polygraph device that measures brainwave activity. This thing does not tell you what's going on inside of your brain. In fact, what I've got here is an ohmmeter. This is a standard multimeter used in electronic troubleshooting. And I hooked it up to a couple of electrodes so I could demonstrate how the Scientology e-meter works. Now you'll notice if I squeeze these two electrodes here with my fingers, you can see the needle on the meter moving. And if my hands were wet, it would move even further to the right. Or if I touch these together, you can see it moves to the right. All you're seeing is a resistance in my body, which is somewhere around, I think it's 10 to 12,000 ohms, something like that. And uh, also, if I had a lot of salt on my hands along with water, it would be a little, a little bit more conductive. Now, how's that going to tell you what's going on inside of my brain? Do you really believe that L. Ron Hubbard's device, he calls the e-meter, is going to probe the deep recesses of your mind and tell you what's going on? If it truly did measure thought, there would be no need for you to hold the two tin cans, would there? I mean, couldn't you simply tape it to a person's forehead or set the electrodes on top of their hands like this? No. It's not going to work, because thought can't be detected in that way, and certainly not with this device. So it's really a big scam. And Scientology charges thousands of dollars for this device. You can go get a meter like this for prob probably a brand new one might cost you, well, a cheap one, 20 bucks. <laughs> so it's basically a glorified ohmmeter is all it is. The guy's selling it. And if you still think it is, I tell you what, just come up later after study and I'll pass the anointing to you as well. <laughs> Uh, later for a small fee, of course. We'll donate to the youth. They always need cash. So, but let's just move on. So that's what it basically is. So basically, somehow you got to go through this auditing process. You got to get rid of these negative things. They use hypnosis. It's supposed to go in your back uh, past life and all that baloney stuff, which is a cold technique. And the guy's a chicanery. It's just basically a glorified ohmmeter, right? It doesn't read your thoughts. It ain't going to help you, whatever. But could you imagine that? And notice he said that it'll, it'll vary too when it's what? When your hands are wet or salty. Well, what do you do when you're going? To, can you imagine how nervous people must be? When you're nervous, what do you do? You sweat. Oh, see, you're, you're, oh, you're negative. No, there's an engram here. No, it's over here. No, it's over there. No, you're sweating. And you got a glorified ohmmeter, and you're ripping me off my cash. That's really what's going on there. Now, Hubbard began teaching these dynamic principles in the 50s. This is, again, when he started taking this off. Almost immediately, obviously, everybody begins to say, this is a bunch of bunk science. In fact, it was classified even back as far as then when he started to come out as a pseudoscience. What's pseudo mean? False signs, a bunch of baloney, right? It's a glorified ohmmeter. You mean break, right? And they would put it in the same category as astrology, right? Astrology, of course, is a bunch of baloney as well. Uh, the, the stars in the sky do not dictate your future, okay? God does, right? That's the creation. The creator, creator is the one who's in charge, right? But astrology is involved in the occult, so it's not surprising that Scientology gets... Uh, lumped in that category as well. Uh, there is no scientific study supporting the effectiveness of anything. There's no scientific uh, evidence that any of this stuff even works. Uh, Dianetics, listen though, quote, most proven capability is in quote, generating revenue. Auditing sessions to the can thing, right, and uh, going into hypnosis are expensive, and the wealthy are profoundly overrepresented in Scientology. Again, we're going to see people uh, targeted in Hollywood, and then once they get their f feet into Hollywood actors, they go after other actors because people follow actors and stuff of that nature, and they also got big bucks to give Scientology, right? But basically, biblically, the claims of Dianetics are completely false. Shocker. They, there are no prior lives from which to remember pain and trauma. Right? What did we see before in our studies? Repeatedly. Hebrews 9.27. What's the Bible say? It is appointed man wants to die and then face judgment. There is no uh, second chance. You're, there is no reincarnation. You're not coming back. You're not having more than one life. A person's primary moral problem is not memory of pain. It's not an engram. It's called sin. Right? And something that we are all born with. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 5. Dianetics claims that a person can, through the force of their own will turn themselves into a better, more moral person. What's the scripture say? Uh-uh. Ain't no reformation. Ain't no new creation until what? 
You're in Christ. You get saved as a Christian, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, and it's a mishmash of pseudoscience, fake science, like you saw with this glorified ohm meter, right? Eastern spirituality, new age concepts, and Dianetics is not only factually false, but it is, quote, incompatible with the worldview of the Bible, right? Now, as amazing as that is, you'll listen to these comments by uh, Will Smith. Listen to Will Smith, right? Back to that. He said, quote, I was introduced to Scientology through Tom. Guess Tom who? Not Tom and Jerry. Tom Cruise, you're right. Right, Tom Cruise. And he says, I am a student of world religion. Now, here's what's sad. Listen to his background. This is his own words, Will Smith. Will Smith said, I was raised a Baptist in a Baptist household. What went wrong? But here's one thing that went wrong. They sent him to a Catholic school. How many people do that? Right? But he says, listen to this. So that's his background. He says, I'm a student of world religion. I was introduced to Scientology by Tom. I was raised in a Baptist household. I went to a Catholic school. Quote, but the ideas of the Bible are 98% the same ideas as Scientology. Yeah, turn to somebody and go, are you serious? It's not even close. It's all based on the cold. It has nothing to do with the scripture at all. But that's what they pitch themselves. Now, let me back up. So that's basically Dianetics in a nutshell. And again, we're going to break down their belief systems in greater detail. I'm just giving you a little, some highlights in history. But I wanted to back up a little bit, right? We started back in the 45, 46 with his affirmations, the occult stuff, right? Okay. Then he went to the original thesis, right? Then he's got this book of psychology, right? Okay. And then now finally he comes out about 1950s, this, this time frame, he comes out with Dianetics. Okay. But he had, even before the affirmations, he had an experience that really even Scientologists say was the really true beginnings of Dianetics. And this was, I think, in 1938. Okay. And this is his experience. And he wrote a science fiction story and it was called X. Caliber. Now, remember one of the early names he wanted to call Dianetics? Was the Dark Sword or Excalibur. Here's why he was flirting with the Excalibur. This is back in 1930. So this was going on in his brain before he even met up with Jack Parsons. But all this is just the segue. How in the world did this guy come up with Dianetics? Right? So anyway, so in mid-1938, he publishes this manuscript called Excalibur. And again, Scientology says this is basically the, one of the key works that he did that was the basically held the principles of, of what would become Dianetics and uh, the principles of human existence, okay? Now, according to Arthur J. Cox, uh, Hubbard told him later, 10 years later at a science folks uh, uh, book uh, convention, uh, that Excalibur's inspiration, listen, which basically was the inspiration ultimately with these other experiences for Dianetics, and Scientology admits it. He says, listen, Excalibur's inspiration came during an operation in which he, quote, died for eight minutes. Supposed to be a near-death experience. Well, that's very much glamorized because that's not what really went on. Okay, he had an experience all right, and he was impacted by it, but it wasn't a near-death experience. Quote, it was a dental extraction performed under nitrous oxide a chemical known for its hallucinogenic effects. So he went to the dentist, he got crammed through this stuff, and I'm gonna give you an example. What happens when somebody gets nitrous oxide? I'm gonna share with you basically the Crohn version of the beginnings of Dianetics. Are you ready? It might have went something like this. Let's take a look. Yeah, I know. How did it go? Yeah. Uh, I feel so Kind of felt good, didn't it? Uh, is this real life? Yeah, this is real life. Okay, now... Okay, now I... I have two fingers. Good. Now, four fingers. Four fingers? Nuh-uh-uh. Don't put that in, don't put it in your mouth, okay? You feel good? I can't see anything. Yes, you can. Stay in your seat. Uh, 
You don't? Uh-uh. No? Do I have stitches? Uh-huh. Do, do I have stitches? Yes. On my teeth? Yeah. Don't touch it. Don't. Why can't I touch it? Because it'll mess up the stitches. You have four eyes. Yeah. It's okay, bud. It's just from the medicine. Okay? Is this going to be forever? No. No, it won't be forever. <laughs> Unless, of course, you take that experience and you come out with Excalibur. This is the beginning of what he felt and, and to his I mean he embellished it and said a near-death experience and they came back with this knowledge that was Excalibur which was basically the beginnings of Dianetics of the world you went to the dentist dude you got crammed packed full of this stuff and he guess what he probably didn't have vision you got four eyes Excalibur right and that was all I was almost gonna say during that video with the kid hey look he's in the state of clear you know, whatever, but I refrained, but I guess I just did it. But anyway, let's just move on. So basically, Hubbard quote, because of this, what he said was a near-death experience. He went to the dentist and he got nitrous oxide. He realized that, quote, while he was <clears throat> dead, he'd received tremendous inspiration and a great message which he must impart to others. And he sat at his typewriter for six days and nights and nothing came out. <gasps> but then Excalibur emerged. Whoa. Dude, you got high. On nitrous oxide. It's <laughs> just crazy, right? Now, listen to it. it gets even better. He gets talking about a big head. and Because he was convinced after this dental extraction. This is it. Right? Uh, the president of the American Fiction Guild wrote of an, an excited Hubbard who called him and said, quote, Hubbard saying this to the guy, I want to see you right away. I have written, caps, the book. Right? And Hubbard believed that Excalibur would, quote, revolutionize everything and that it was somewhat more important, listen, and would have a greater impact upon people than the Bible. Yeah. All I got to say before I go any further, be careful when you go to the dentist, right? Anybody go to the dentist lately here? You don't want to raise your hand. Dude, are you serious? You okay? You ain't writing nothing at home, are you? Just put the pen down. Just wait. It'll go away. Let's move on. Now, Hubbard was so sure that he had something way out and beyond, quote, unquote, uh, anything. He listened. He then, because this guy rejected it, right? Uh, or, or he told the guy it's more important than the Bible. Then he goes, he didn't stop there. He sends telegrams out to several book publishers telling them that he had written, again, the book. And listen, he cut him a deal. He said that they were to meet him at Penn Station. And he would discuss it with them and, of course, go with whomever gave him the best offer. <laughs> So this is supposed to be the book for humanity, better than the Bible, and who's going to be the highest bidder, right? However, nobody, quote, bought the manuscript. Shocker. So then Forrest Ackerman, he's a later Hubbard's literary agent, he recalled how Hubbard told him, quote, listen to this, right? Now he's got to get people's attention. Quote, whoever read it, Excalibur, either went insane or committed suicide. And he said that the last time he had shown it to a publisher in New York, he walked into the office to find out what the reaction was. The publisher called for the reader. The reader came in with the manuscript, threw it on the table, and threw him out the skyscraper window. Ooh. I'm sitting there going, man, if that's what your books do to people, you might want to get a different job. Change some tires, pick some peaches, do something on it. <laughs> if your stuff makes people want to kill themselves. Wow, is it crazy, right? Oh, but he still wants that. So, now, so obviously people are rejecting him, but he's like, this is the book, right? People are going insane. They're killing themselves. It's just so powerful, right? So then, so he's all depressed about it, basically. So then he even admitted that this was not for the benefit of humanity. He wanted to be known. He said, Excalibur will be published and I may have a chance to get some name recognition out of it. I have high hopes of smashing my name into history so violently that it will take a legendary form even if all my books are destroyed. That is the goal. So this tells you what it's all about. Right? Then in the early 1950s, okay, so now he's come out with Dianetics, so that's the beginnings of all this stuff, right? It also tells you a little bit of his, his uh, goal in mind with all this stuff. 
wasn't to benefit humanity, to make some cash and get known in the world, right? So now Scientology goes back because the word's out on the street. Hey, we've got like the early form of Dianetics, this Excalibur. Now listen, they offered signed gold-bound locked copies early on in the 50s that you could purchase for today's equivalent, $15,257, right? But see, it warned. It had a warning on it. It warned, quote, four of the first 15 people who read it went insane. Yeah, sign me up. I want that book. I'll pay 15 grand to go insane. (laughs) And it would, quote, only be released only on sworn statement, not to permit other readers to read it. And it contains data not to be released during Hubbard's stay on the earth. It's just a marketing thing. It's a scam. The guy's drumming some cash, right? Now, again, this is what he's involved in. This is the birth of Dianetics. This is the birth of Scientology, right? Now, again, also what's emerged into here, let's get back into the affirmation thing. Remember that? All right? Affirmations is practices involved in the occult. Uh, Crowley used them. It's nothing new. Hubbard used them too, right? And uh, also, uh, Hubbard not only adopted many of the practices we saw last time of Crowley, right? Including, if you want to go higher up in the occult and their knowledge, what did they had to do to pay to get that knowledge? You had to pay. You had to give money to Crowley to get more of his secrets. And that's something that's built into Scientology even today. If you want to get more clear and have more knowledge, you get rid of even more Ingram. So you can stand around and go... Right? Then you got to give him money to make it to this next level and this next level and things of that nature. Right? But also, he used affirmations and he used all kinds of drugs. Now listen to this. According to Hubbard's son, his father, he wasn't just on drugs when he was doing nitrous oxide and came up with Excalibur, which was the early form of Dianetics. Hubbard, his father, he said, regularly used illegal drugs, including amphetamines, barbiturates, hallucinogens, including cocaine, peyote, and mescaline. Right? This guy was, and again, I don't doubt that he saw stuff. I don't doubt that he heard voices. I don't doubt that he had visions. I don't doubt that he had visions of grandeur. Ain't coming from God. This is the root of Scientology. And listen, one of his affirmations, remember I told you the other ones were kind of simplistic. They sound like a word of faith. After, your foot is just fine. Ha <laughs> ha, foot, you're well. <laughs> that's not the, listen, that's the tip of the iceberg of these affirmations that he used. Listen to another one. He, and this was, again, his affirmation, this is occult stuff. Repeat this over and over again to make this your reality. Quote, this is from Hubbard. All men shall be my slaves. All women shall succumb to my charms. All mankind shall grovel at my feet and not know why. That's, that's the affirmations, right, that he was in. He was also, again, known not just to promote uh, with hypnotism, you're supposed to get back to find these engrams and become clear. He was known as a talented hypnotist himself, that he could do this upon people. Uh, and Scientology admits that Hubbard's experience with hypnosis led to his discovery of the principles of Dianetics. Right? So again, they, they think it's a good thing that he got involved in these practices and all that stuff. And again, uh, the affirmation is a form of self-hypnosis that you repeat it over and over again you'll get into an altered state of consciousness. We've talked about that before, right? When somebody's repeating their mantra over and over again, the Hare Krishnas, and they're repeating that over and over again, what are they doing? You keep doing that. That's, that's, there's different ways to get into an altered state of consciousness. It's not just through drugs. That is one way, right? It's through repetitive movement or repetitive speaking. You, and you keep it up and keep doing it or keep saying the same thing over and over and over. It becomes mindless, right? And that gets you into an altered state of consciousness, right? And, uh, and anyway, so he's doing that. It was a form of self-hypnosis. But here's some other ones that he would repeat. Quote, my magical work is powerful and effective. Just over and over. You are psychic. Quote, listen to this. You can do automatic writing whenever you wish. You do not care what comes out on the paper when your guardian dictates. What's, what's that? That's, a, that's, gonna be a, that's a demon. That's a familiar spirit. You can call it guardian. You can call it uh, Chuck E. Cheese. I don't care. It's a demon. Right? But this is his affirmation that he's over and over. This is the the founder of Scientology. This is where it's all coming from. Another affirmation, he said, nothing can intervene between you and your guardian. She, remember we said last time he felt it was a redhead female entity. Uh, She cannot be displaced because she's too powerful. She does not control you. She advises you. Here's another one. The most thrilling thing in your life is your love and consciousness of your guardian. 
Okay, and another one, one more. You can talk with her and audibly hear her voice above all others. And he was also involved in numerology and all that stuff. So basically his whole background, his whole source of inspiration, basically has nothing to do with science, nothing with ology, meaning the study of science. Okay, uh, it is science fiction occult. You, you put all this together, deep, dark, occult, Crowleyism, the OTO, the, the magic with a K rituals and all that stuff. Uh, and, and then you throw in copious amounts of drugs. He's into hypnotism and he's got this familiar spirit that he's getting inspiration from. Do you think you want to listen to anything that comes out of this guy? But how many millions of people are falling for it? And they're using Hollywood to really heavily promote it. Now, uh, the affirmations, what I just read to you, became public knowledge during 1984 lawsuit against Hubbard's former uh, archivist. To suit it, to show, no, I'm not making this up. This is really what he was doing, right? Let's continue on. Now, let's get into, as we get ready to close, the term Dianetic, right? Because you ask them today, you say, well, Dianetics, what does that mean? That's an interesting word. Well, they say it's made up of two words, uh, dia or dia, which means through, and nous, which is the word for the mind. So this is through the mind. Really? Is that really why he chose Dianetics? Hmm. Inquiring's mind want to know. Let's see, let's see what it really is. 1949, a letter to Forrest Ackerman. Hubbard promises that uh, uh, this upcoming work that he's working on, which has become Dianetics, listen, listen to another one of his goals, quote, it will give him the power, listen to this, it will give him the power to rape women without their knowing it and communicate suicide messages to his enemies as they sleep. Okay, but again, this is what he comes out. And early on, he wasn't ashamed of his occult background. And this is some of the stuff that they kind of want to keep away in the archives, like they do with Ellen G. White, right? Uh, and uh, Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, he admitted, quote, he uses hypnosis, automatic writing, automatic speaking, and clairvoyance. Okay, but listen, why did he choose, of all terms, Dianetics? Well, author John Attack, he noted that Hubbard seems to have a special interest in the Roman goddess... Diana, right? In 1946, using money from Jack Parsons, remember he ripped off, Hubbard, he did get a boat, right? And he named the boat Diane. In 1952, Hubbard named his daughter Diana. Later, Hubbard uh, named a sea, uh, a sea org vessel, we'll get into that probably next time, uh, Diana. And then also, they uh, attack, uh, speculates that Dianetics may have a double meaning and that rather than being through the mind, it really is talking about the occult practice of Dianism, right? So what's Dianism as we close? Dianism is not just an occult practice, it's an occult sexual practice. And what was he involved in with Jack Parsons? Trace the trail, it all comes together. Not just magic rituals with a K, sex magic rituals. Well, what's that come from? That's the practice of Dianism, right? Right? And that was uh, basically following supposedly the Diana, the Roman goddess. This was popularized uh, even here in the West, 1890s, by a lady named Ida Craddock. And, uh, and, uh, and she basically influenced another guy. And guess what his name was with this practice? Aleister Crowley. Right? But basically, it, it, there's, it starts with this uh, uh, Ida lady. It goes to a guy named Henry Parkhurst. It goes to another lady named Elmina Slinker. And uh, she begins to promote it as well. In fact, I wish I could show you the picture. Maybe you can look at it later. Uh, she wrote articles on this sex magic stuff, Dianism, uh, in, in a journal called Lucifer the Lightbearer. Remember New Age? They think Lucifer's a what? A good guy, right? So Idocratic, she's into this. She's basically, and she basically begins to uh, uh, rent this out, this information that she's now a sex therapist for struggling marriages, come and whatever. And she never married because she believed that she was married to a, quote, angel. An angel named Soth, S-O-P-H, if you want to check it out. And she wasn't, in theory, which would be what? Now you're dealing with another demon, okay? She not only believed that she was uh, married to this demon, Soth, uh, that she supposedly uh, had intercourse with this demon, so now you get into the occult belief, incubus, succubus, and we'll get into that Lord willing later. Seriously dark, rotten stuff. The, the Hinduism, the tantra, the tantric sex magic, that's, ugh. 
Anyway, so she actually thought that she was doing that. So basically, uh, she basically says, hey, see? See what I'm doing? I'm going to help you in your marriage. This was 1890s time frame, if you can believe that, right? Uh, she authored two books. One was called Psychic Wedlock. She also wrote another book called Heavenly Bridegrooms, right? Heavenly Bridegrooms was picked up, and in 1919, guess who got a copy of it? Aleister Crowley. And he stated about this book uh, from this lady who supposedly is having intercourse with demons. Uh, quote, it's one of the most remarkable human documents ever produced. No magic library with a K is complete without this book. All right? And so basically, so he gets involved in with this as well. It's basically Dianism is not just the occult. It's the occult and you're having supposedly intercourse sex magic with a K with demon spirits. Okay? Now, from, from there it goes to this guy named Louis T. Colling, this heavenly bridegroom, this book that came from Ida. Listen to this. In 1938, Colling joined the Agape Lodge in the Southern California chapter of the OTO. Now, who was the head of the OTO in Southern California on the West Coast at that time? You're back to Jack Parsons. And now you're back to L. Ron Hubbard. And what were they doing, as we saw last time, with their rituals? Not just occult rituals, sex magic rituals, trying to bring in this Babylon spirit who's going to give birth to the Antichrist. Right? And all this is based on the occult practice called Dianism of the Roman goddess Diana. And you wonder why he named it Dianetics. Maybe it's a quinky dink. Maybe not. But I think that's the real story behind it. But you start saying stuff like that when people come up and grab your Coke cans on electrodes, it'll freak them out and they'll run. So maybe it means through the mind. I don't know. That might be easier to cut a check. Okay, but basically that's what they, they, they believe and uh, what we're going to see, Lord willing, next time. Now he's running off of Dianetics. Now he's basically hitting the ground running. Now he's basically, he created Scientology to get out of the trouble he was in because he lost the rights to Dianetics. He creates Scientology and literally begins to sail around the world, right? And he's trying to get Scientology off. He's launching it all over the West, over the world. But guess what? People thought it was such quackery, such craziness. They literally, uh, he had to leave country after country after country. He's bouncing around from country in these ships, these fleet of ships he's got now. Because he's making buku bucks off of this stuff. Right? And we'll get into that, Lord willing, next time. But basically, people started coming out and exposing what a, how bankrupt it really was. And so what he did, back even those days, is he basically created the Scientology version of a hit squad to go after anybody who would dare try to say that this was not real, that and they would go and intimidate them, they would threaten them, they would sue them, and guess what? It still goes on today. So we'll see the beginning of that practice that they still today, the birth of the Scientology hit squad commanded by L. Ron Hubbard on his fleet of ships. Doesn't this sound like a science fiction story? Crazy, but this is what's going on. Let's well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. 
But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, You shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name the Bible says under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just 5 out of 10 of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven. In that state, you're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then He could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you. But you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.